Listen, I'm having a, a Soylent Complete Energy, delicious, what? full of no tropics, B vitamins, yum. Uh, so if I get real jigged up in the middle of this episode, that's why. Also, Matt, what? He's here. He's here. He's here in the space at long last. Yes, Culture Maven, Culture Editor of Esquire Magazine, my colleague and friend, Justin Kirkland. Hello. Hey, what was that? <laughs> that what was that? Already, I, already. You Justin, know, I, was, I don't know about this. I was so excited, and I, um, I'll leave. Bye. No, like, don't you dare. Obviously, isn't going well. Don't you dare. <laughs> Justin, who, you know, I have known via Zoom uh, this last year and a half. Um, we've been wanting to ask forever. Finally did. And we were like, can you do the show now? Can you do the show Truly right, now? right now? We've never done a more last minute interview. Yeah. And I feel like it yeah. just speaks to what a, what a friend of the show you are, that you are here, mm. that you showed up. And by the way, no big deal. I Unless I'm mistaken, this is our four-year anniversary of doing the show, this episode. It is. It is. You're our anniversary guest, Justin Kirkland. That means so much to me. I was actually, my four-year anniversary at Esquire uh, was this week as well. So you guys are celebrating with me. I used to do this for I my birthday it. parties when I was little, invite people to things with a promise of something greater. And it was actually mm -hmm. just to celebrate me. So I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> That's great. Did you do it over Zoom? Uh, yeah, 100%. 1995, okay, cool. yeah. I was like, everybody, come on in. You were really ahead of the curve. He's young, Justin Kirkland. So uh, Justin's takes on TV movies, everything, are always so good to read. And I want to dive into what you are watching. Um, but I want to start with something, um, and I don't know if you've seen this yet, Matt, but uh, Pray Away. Oh, I have to watch The Netflix documentary about conversion therapy. Oof. Justin, your thoughts. So, I mean, this is such a complicated crossroads because I grew up, I grew up like Southern Baptist, very evangelical. Uh, and so I have a bit of a soft spot, I guess, if that's the right word of mm -hmm. trying to reconcile those worlds and struggling with it. But man, it's a downer of a documentary. And it, yeah, we were talking before, after you saw it, Dave, and there's a, I wouldn't say a, a bit of insincerity to it, but there's just a a vibe of did these people really kind of understand the gravitas of, of what they signed on to and what mm -hmm. they subjected other people to as well as themselves. So yeah, it was a bit of a dark watch. Ooh. Yeah, I um, it focuses Matt and listener if you haven't seen it on um, on people who ran uh, conversion therapy places and people who were the faces of the ex-gay movement, most of whom now are, you know, openly queer. Of course. There's one and they don't even actually speak to her. Um, but there is there is one um who's who's still at it, the 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 ex-wife of one of the the talking heads. And uh and she's she's still at it. And there's there is a, a person who says, you know, I used to be trans and then I found Jesus and and remains remains ex trans or whatever uh throughout but it's it is so chock full of these people the, like the the stories of these people and how they're like well i realized i was wrong but it's like none of their stories of how they realized they were wrong make any sense at all it's like one of them is like oh you know i was in san francisco the night proposition 8 passed and there were so many people crying and that night i just everything changed for me and it's like no it didn't that's the grinch that's not real <laughs> that's not human behavior that's like you don't there's more to it and it's a longer process than that and it's 
it just seems like all of these people who were on stages preaching all this fucking nonsense are now on different stages preaching stuff that isn't nonsense, but it's like, I don't know that I can believe you now either. Mm. You know, if you were that easily bamboozled, I don't get, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where the time of your personal story comes in where you sit down and listen, you know, it's just, I I really, I could not, I really hated it. I really hated it. From an optimistic standpoint, I like, I like to believe that, you know, uh, something as horrible as, as conversion therapy perhaps is too personal to really reveal the the deep, dark details. Fortunately, I never went through anything like that, but I can imagine mm-hmm. it's pretty traumatic. And, you know, like we've written stories and you get in a little deep and you realize that you're not able to tell the story that you set out to tell, which I think is fine. It happens. But also if the details aren't there, just don't tell the story. And that's kind of what it felt like that maybe there was yeah. just something not revealed. I think that's the only like optimistic way you can look at it, that maybe it was just too personal. Otherwise it's, that's a pretty intense switch to just kind of flip one day and be like, exactly. I saw people crying and I was like, I'm hurting people. And it's like, yeah, no yeah. shit. Kind of. Yeah. You knew you were hurting people. Come on. And, and I'm just not, there's, you know, there uh, several of them. We see them in their, in their happy lives. And it's like, I don't, I, it's not that I want you to be so like live in hell, but I don't, I'm not personally invested in your happiness mm. right now. Like I, you haven't earned a happy ending for me right now. You know, like if you, if you were, you killed kids, you know, I don't know. It's, it's rough. Now you did. Okay. So you did not go through like a fit, like, you know, official conversion therapy, but certainly the sort of low key behavior modification that all us queer kids uh, in, in areas where there aren't queer adults in any large volume like that is a thing. Oh, for sure. That you, yeah. Okay. Okay. So I still, um, I'm working on something right now about this. I still identify. I would, I would call myself a Christian, but I do it in kind of like a hushed whisper mm-hmm. because it's there's a lot of bad going on with with Christianity and evangelicism in particular in America. But I, I think it's just a really personal experience, and I think that if you have some kind of line of faith that you rely on so long as it doesn't hurt anyone else or put anybody else out of their way. That's kind of your business. Uh, but growing up, I mean, we had, we had a big white Bible on the coffee table that my mom would like dust off and like vaguely allude to the contents of. Uh, and that was uh, Jesus was terrifying. He was on the front and he had that face that everybody knows kind of like staring at you and yeah, a little, mm. little terrifying. Uh, but I kind of, it's a good I Jesus of, face. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's like welcoming, but he's, he's pissed about he's watching. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's, and he, if you don't dust him quickly enough, like he, he will find a way back into your life. Yeah. He'll snap. Uh, yeah, I mean, I did kind of the the typical seven thing. I went to like vacation Bible school and uh, I just kept like stumbling on God. Like I really kind of led the way of my family formally going to churches. Uh, and then the more the more that I went, the the worse the experience got. So I kind of feel like I ended up doing a bespoke version of the Christian faith. But there was there was a lot of toxic kind of messaging that came out. So I think it, it takes a long time to untangle that. I'm, I'm fortunate that, you know, something that mattered to me stuck with me, but uh, yeah, it gets, it gets dicey in there. There was one time where the whole youth group went to see um, the passion of the Christ in a group screening. And I remember 
sitting in the audience and looking around and everybody had their hands like held up toward the screen oh, as God. Jesus is just getting the like shit beat out of him. And people are like, yes, praise God. And I was like, this isn't right. Like, I don't think we're no. supposed to be like celebrating this. So I went and got yeah. some popcorn. <laughs> that's the that's the sacrament that, that you needed in that moment. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Now, I want to get deep into your, your viewing and listening habits, but we do have breaking news. And certainly you have heard this. It broke in the last 20 minutes. Yes. Do you know what I'm about to tell you? Is it Britney Spears' father stepping down as conservator? Jamie Spears has stepped down as conservator. Britney has been freed, sort Fish. of. I don't know. Maybe. It's close. It's a step in the right direction. Certainly, former homophilia guests uh, Babs Gray and Tess Barker have changed the world. Um, 100%. You said toxic, and that 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 sparked uh, a memory. They have a terrific podcast out about the conservatory, about the whole, th the whole thing. Um, what are your, what are your Brittany thoughts in the moment? How did you take the news? I'm so happy that it seems that there's some kind of progress being made because in, in my research of the situation, it never seemed that she didn't want to be in some kind of conservatorship. Like uh -huh. I think the protections from what I've, picked up from what little she said that it's good for her it's like constructive yeah. so long as it's a person that is halfway decent managing it without some kind of mm -hmm. like agenda that isn't hers so i'm just happy that she's she's getting a voice and she's getting to lead her life in a way that she wants if she wants to go to louisiana and like go in the middle of nowhere and have two more kids and live her life in obscurity i hope that's exactly what she gets to do yeah yeah uh, the topless videos. What are your what are you, what's your take? I mean, if you want to if you want to be topless, I get anxious about being topless, and Same. society welcomes it from from yeah. men. So if if she's feeling it, go out and do it, girl. Free titney. Okay. Um, Free titney. Oh Justin, I want to know what other stuff that you are watching. But there was one thing I wanted to bring up in particular. My recommendation of the week is. Um, Val, the Val Kilmer documentary on Amazon. Have you seen that? Oh, I haven't Anybody? seen it. Yet. No, I haven't. It is. No. Uh, it it lives up to the hype, and then some. It's so beautiful. Uh, you, you'll sob. He's just such a special guy. I feel like uh, uh, we're lucky to have him. I don't know. Definitely hmm. check it out. Okay. Um, but didn't see what it. What else is in your queue at the moment, Justin? So I don't know. I was making a list of this beforehand because I wanted to not just like fall back on our old favorites. My boyfriend and I have rewatched all 40 seasons of Survivor since the pandemic started. So when people ask what we've been watching, I immediately say Survivor as if I'm not listening to anything in like the immediate zeitgeist. Uh, but that is actually in the zeitgeist. Yes. Literally every third guest of this show says that exact thing. Yes. It's so good. It's so good. I would kill somebody. I mean, I've wanted to be a writer since I was a little kid. But if somebody popped in my inbox right now and said, unfortunately, you would have to give up your job, but we have a slot on Survivor, I would, I would call our editor-in-chief, Michael, immediately and say, I'm so sorry, I've got to go. I would do it in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat. And Esquire editor-in-chief Michael Sebastian would get it because his, his wife, wife was, was on, on Survivor. Survivor. Oh, wow. And how did his wife do? Sally. Sally Sock Schumann, as she was known back then. Uh, season witch. 
season uh oh gosh i want to say 13 she was she was early she's old school uh and she got she got seventh she has one of my favorite uh exit lines she holds up a vote and paraphrasing she said i don't really care which one of you goes i don't like any of you anymore wow and i remember thinking like that's that's an icon yeah love her already wow never seen never seen a full episode of that show in my life oh it's it'll save you one day it'll save all of us wow okay uh down i'm down uh, to give it a try other than that i mean at the at the risk of sounding kind of stereotypical i'm so invested in this season of all stars Mm. uh drag race yes Uh, got that a little backwards but uh it's been an excellent season and and who's your who is your pick to win so it's it shifted a little bit since it started i was originally rooting for eureka because in a way she's kind of a hometown queen she's about an hour and a half from where i'm from originally in tennessee uh but I think at this point, I'm all in on Kylie. Wow. Yeah. She's really amped it up as the season's gone on. And I like I like a story where people uh, kind of defy expectations. So, yeah, it would be Kylie or Raja. I love Raja. I actually am, like, very happy. Of the entire top five, I would be thrilled to see any one of them win. I feel like we're, we're in very good hands with all of them. But, yeah, I agree. It's been an excellent, it's been an excellent, excellent season. It's just, uh, I mean, it's summer's always a weird time for TV as it is. Like, even in this age of like Netflix and Hulu and every other streamer throwing all kinds of stuff out, uh, summer can still be a little bit of a no man's land. So, it's nice to have not just kind of a staple show, but a show that's really produced like a good season of people that were kind of unexpectedly lovable. It sounds like a drag, but it's not. Uh, so yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun watching that. Okay, I you know I wonder about this with all of the all of the culture writers. Are you? Um, does the fact that you have to write about stuff or synthesize stuff or be on a deadline for thoughts about stuff does that affect how much you like? Things like are you? Does it take away the joy of TV and movie watching? for you knowing that you're going to have to have a take a a little a little bit and then sometimes it's i feel like it's almost involuntary i don't i was looking it up beforehand because i don't want to break any embargoes but there is a series coming out on netflix uh at the beginning of september called q force uh Mm -hmm. which is a animated uh queer led i think it's like a cia group yeah, the trailer came out today. Yeah, like Wanda Sykes and uh, oh my gosh, completely blanking Matt on Rogers. Matt Rogers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I've enjoyed that so much. And I think sometimes while I'm watching things like that, I immediately start thinking like, oh, I want to talk to somebody that's associated with this, or I want to write a review. So it's almost a bit of a catch twenty two in that. If I enjoy something, I want to write about it, but it almost if I'm assigned to write about something or it's something that we should definitely be covering, I, I go into it a bit begrudgingly. That's how I went into The White Lotus. I watched the first episode this summer and then staved it off for like three episodes and then binged it all. Uh, uh, so have you seen All All? I've seen All All, so I've seen through... I have not. 
the finale and I um, I'm just excited for everyone. Oh, oh my boy. god. Okay, so I we um we were behind and still are behind, but we watched a couple last night and ended with the uh uh intimate uh, backyard dining moment mm. with uh sure. um what's his name? Murray mm-hmm. Bartlett. Um Yes. Yeah, that was that's the last thing that we saw. I don't like my level of attraction to Jake Lacey, but I'm I'm I've made peace with it. He reminds he looks wise has always reminded me of guys that I went to high school with. And in this character, he now behaves like the guys that I went to high school with. And that is a primal thing for me. And I wish I could shake it off, but I can't. That's my full review of the White Lotus. I was in a fraternity. You were in a fraternity. Yeah, I don't I don't which one uh, Delta Kappa Epsilon. uh, Okay, which Deke notoriously has a, a bit of a dicey reputation. Um, Does it? But I didn't know that. I like I like to believe that I went to a really small school. So we were kind of like a ragtag gang of like guys that just didn't really fit in. And I like, I wanted more friends that were guys. So I joined the fraternity and whatnot. But there is, Jake Lacey haunts me in a way because part of what I loved about the fraternity is that Fraternity guys are supposed to be the absolute worst, but I find them fascinating and so lovable in the worst way. Yeah. And yeah, Jake Lacey has that that kind of energy for me. Like he definitely did some questionable stuff in a fraternity and and he's fine. Yeah. Uh, so would how how was pledging for you or or, or uh rushing? Is it called rushing? Yeah, I, rushing, pledging, yeah. all that. I mean, I was, I kind of feel like I was a bit of a diversity hire because <laughs> they were like, we have a, we have a ton of straight guys. Uh, so they, they brought me in and. So you were out. Yeah, I was like out-ish. Uh, I was like hokey pokey of like the coming out process, like in, out, in, out. Uh, mm-hmm. But then I had, I had a terrible coming out in college uh, where I got, it was a college of probably 2000 people uh, and a girl revealed it at a party, like announced it at a party. And if you are at a school of 2000 and there's a party on Saturday night, you're at that party because it's a school of 2000. Uh, And I remember there was an emergency meeting with the fraternity uh, a couple days afterward. And I thought, Oh my God, they're going to like vote me out of this fraternity (sighs) because now they know I'm just like fully out as gay and uh, the group got together and the meeting was essentially to get all of us in one place to let me know that there was a unified front behind me. Uh, so for all the all the shitty things that happen in fraternities, which all that's very, very real and very problematic, uh, those guys were great for me. That's so. awesome. That makes me happy. And then, uh, yeah, I just stuck it out and I keep in touch with them individually, but I'm definitely not that guy that's like keeping up with the alumni from the fraternity, uh, after the fact. Yeah. Not going back for the, uh, alumni tailgate until Jake Lacey shows up until he shows up and he will, he will, I'll I'll be there. Yeah. Uh, that is a traumatic experience being, uh, outed in a small, in a small school that can't be good. It's a, I mean, it's a. It's a real journey, but I, I was always the kid as well. Like the writing was on the wall. I told my parents growing up, like my first crush was Susan Sarandon. <laughs> and if that didn't tip them off <laughs> to like what the future held, 
Yeah. Like I can't really help him. So. Oh God. Um, Mm -hmm. So who were you as a kid otherwise? I mean, what, what were the other signs or inklings that you had? I mean, I've always, I've always had a deep love. We were country music house hardcore growing up just like top to bottom uh and i was always really big into dolly reba mcintyre martina mcbride uh so i think that there were probably a lot of telltale signs but i also my dad's like this big like burly redneck guy uh, but his interests totally just kind of dovetailed perfectly in his two favorite movies are uh tombstone and also burlesque uh Cher and Christina Aguilera unexpected uh, wow super unexpected <laughs> uh and I feel like if anybody gave me a good indoctrination of the queer pop culture canon it was him because he he celebrated everything we had like Waylon Jennings playing one minute and then him knowing every single word to a Donna Summer song the next this is the coolest man I've ever heard of I love this man I love this man. I'm dying to meet this man. He is a disaster, but uh, he's a he's a good guy. And how how was coming out to to him to your the rest of your family? I mean, it was it was pretty awful at first. We were we were on vacation, and he uh, here probably like four or five years ago because uh, I held out for a long time. Because uh, even that coming out in college, I was I was at a place where I was like I'll kind of have this life over here and then keep things kind of at bay at home. And I ended up coming out to him probably four or five years ago and it didn't, it didn't go well, but we're such a, we're such a close family and it's a, it's a really small family. It's just me my mom, my dad and my brother growing up. So even through the the difficulty, we've stayed close and he's, he's come around since uh, last, I took my boyfriend home this spring to meet him for the first time. And uh, he had a couple of shots of tequila, which is his kind of poison of choice. And he took Andrew aside and said, have you boys ever thought of buying a farm in Tennessee? And I was like, Jesus Christ, like (laughs) we're going to, we're going to go back to New York now. Uh, So he's, he's come around, but it was, it's a bit of a journey. I think those are the stories that I'm always interested in hearing about because very rarely I feel like, do you, do most people fall on one side of the spectrum or the other? There's always a bit of a complication. So we had our own complications, but we got there. Yeah. You have had um, your father review movies. Yes. Uh, for Esquire.com. Uh, Cats, I believe. Cats. Is maybe the and- most recent? Cats, and then the most recent was The Prom on Netflix. Oh, oh I'd right. love to hear his take on The Prom. He loved it. I don't understand. I don't know if he got it in his head that he was supposed to give a positive review, yeah. but he loved he loved the prom. Uh, he had some some choice things to say about Nicole Kidman that we decided to to edit. Okay, uh, would you like to share them with us? I mean, it was time? a lot about her legs. Uh, mm. He's a big he's a big fan, and it's it's weird. We used to have conversation about. Uh, Carrie Underwood's legs as well. He's he's a leg guy, uh, and I'm a leg guy, but I I think it's in a different way because I'm always like I always have this idea that I could be on Drag Race one day, though I've never done drag and know very little about it. Uh, but I, I always felt like if I had Carrie Underwood's legs, I could do anything. And uh, 
so we we have an equal appreciation and his i would say the biggest chunk that we cut out out of the prom was uh his ode to nicole kidman's legs it's he's very happy with them as he should be so carrie underwood there is a poster over your shoulder on the wall is is she sort of your number one i mean is she your queen of queens oh no dolly dolly part 100 percent yeah uh Carrie Underwood's a very solid princess in the kingdom, uh, but I would, yeah, Dolly's number one. Of course. You, in fact, did a podcast about Dolly Parton herself. Yes, I did. Uh, My year of Dolly. First cease and desist I've ever gotten. Uh, Within a couple of episodes, I got the nicest letter from her lawyers saying uh, to, to stop using her signature. Because it indicated that she somehow backed the podcast Mm. uh, and that while it seemed like a lovely project that she did not want to be directly involved, which hurt, uh, but it was Mm. nice to know that I was one step closer and it's a word to the wise, don't just Google a uh, PNG and use it in your personal projects. Mm -hmm. What is the podcast all about? It uh, started in 1967 uh, and then covered one year of her career every episode. Uh, one year of her career and one album every episode until we got to the present. And it just so happens that she has uh, 52 years of experience, 52 weeks, and uh, 50 studio albums. So it worked out pretty nicely. Very nice. What is your what is your key Dolly property? What is your is it an album? Is it a movie? Is it a Ooh. a ride at Dollywood? There, oh man, Dollywood. That's a that's a whole other conversation for a different time. Uh, when I when I started interviewing people, the one way that I would settle myself, uh, my first interview ever was Dolly Parton. I, when I worked at AARP. Uh, I did a an interview for their magazine, and I don't think people realized like the interview that I was given. And I was panicked, and she stopped me in the middle of this interview and uh, said, "Honey, where are you from?" Because I couldn't get a sentence out. Oh my god! And I told her, and she said, "Oh my god, you know where the KFC and the Taco Bell is up on Chapman Highway?" <laughs> like. Yeah, that's 10 minutes from my house. She goes, we're about 20 minutes north. Don't tell anybody that. And so here we are. I'm about to get another cease and desist from Dolly. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, we all are. Uh, Wow. But it was the nicest thing. So when I did interviews after that, I would always, if I started getting nervous, I would find a way to uh, bring in Dollywood. And I would always tell people that if I died and woke up one day in Dollywood, I would know that I had done more good in life than bad. So <laughs> Dollywood might be the property. It might be like my my number one for Dolly. Really? It's Never I mean it's, I need it's to do it. Incredibly hokey, kitschy place, uh, which is something I fully endorse. Same. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man, it's summertime. Is it ever? I'm mm. about to go to to Montreal with Michael. We're going to go up to Tremblant, this house in the country. And you know what Come we're going to do? We're going to have picnics and drink Miller Lite, baby. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. You deserve more moments to just 
do you. Moments where you don't have to pretend you're craving a fancy schmancy drink when what you really want, Matt and Michael, is a great tasting beer that won't fill you up. Thank you so much. So when you're craving good vibes and great memories, grab your friends, your husband-to-be, his family, his friends, and the beer with taste that you can depend on. Miller Lite. Mmm! Dave Miller Lite has been a light beer with great taste since 1975. That's what makes it an easy choice for me, for you, for everybody. So next time you're getting ready to enjoy cold ones with your crew, go to MillerLite.com forward slash homophilia. You'll find delivery options near you. That's right, delivery options. Or you can... You don't even have to leave your home. Pick some Miller Lite up pretty much anywhere that they sell beer. The bottom line is it is Miller time. Mm -hmm. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories and 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. So um, I want to hear about this boyfriend that you mentioned. Uh, How long has it been? How did you meet? Tell us everything. We are coming up on six years. Uh... We, I was on a trip with a couple of friends over in Europe. Uh, we were hitting, I want to say, France. We hit a couple different countries, um, but we were on a train. And when I tell the story, I feel like an, an asshole, because if you're in Europe, there's enough to look at that you should be on your phone. But I had connected to Wi-Fi and I'm on Tinder. And... Uh, I matched, I matched with this guy and, uh, we were talking, uh, we were on the side of France. It's like kind of close to Switzerland. So Andrew worked in Switzerland at the time. And, uh, he said that he was moving to DC and I was like, well, cowboy, this is a lot really quickly. And he, I lived in Washington DC at the time. Uh, and he was like, no, I'm moving there for work. So I said, well, once you get there, let's meet up and hang out. Uh, and he got there. We went on a date probably four days into him living in the city. And then we've been together ever since. Uh, he's originally from England. So uh, I, I knew to leave the accent uh, untethered for too long would be would be, dangerous. Would be a mistake. So, wow. It's such yeah, a great uh, yeah. accent contrasts happening in your house. Um <laughs> Wow. That's, you know, my, I, I did a similar thing with Michael, my boy, my fiance, like snagged him the minute he moved here from Canada because I knew, I knew better. Otherwise he would have seen how much better he could do, uh, which that obviously does not apply to you and Andrew. But, um, so did you, did it go into sort of like commit serious commitment territory pretty quickly? Yeah. I mean, I, we dated we dated a few other other people casually probably for a month month and a half and then uh i think that we got to to around christmas time and we were like it's cold and we really seem to like each other do you just want to give this a go for a little bit and uh yeah we've been giving it a go for for six years we did long distance for a little while because he lived down in dc uh working at the job that he came over for and his i guess green card status is tied to that job 
but of the very, very, very few silver linings of the pandemic, uh, they allowed him to move up to New York. So we've been shacked up. We bought a couple of cats. We watch Survivor every night and he gets screeners out of it. I get a good accent and it's yeah. been it's been love ever since. It is a win-win for everybody. I love it. I was going to ask how lockdown has been in New York City. It's, I mean, it's weird because I... I think that most people that come from another part of the world, you move to New York to experience New York, right? To kind of be immersed in in the people and the restaurants and the places. So it's it's been strange to kind of be locked inside. But if there's anywhere in the world that I would want to be on lockdown, I feel like it's here. People have taken it so seriously. And they have on the on the up and up such a respect for this crazy thing that we're going through that there's a bit of a camaraderie in that. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think about if all of this had gone down, you know, cause we have colleagues and there are certainly tons of people who are, you know, 25 and living, you know, four to an apartment uh, and to like, just be stuck with those people all the time. Has got to be absolutely I mean, not. It's it's it's, it's got to be it's got to be taxing. It's got to be taxing. I loved my roommates, but if I had been if we had been in prison together for a year and a half, it would have been trouble for sure. I mean, that's that's a dynamic that I hope to never have to experience again. I've loved the roommates that I've had. But there's definitely a a grading that can happen at least around around the winter time where people aren't getting out as much. So to have spent the past year and a half, I think there are probably some incredible relationships that have come out of that. Just that yeah. person that you managed not to strangle and y'all got through it together for so long. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably going to lead to some really special connections in the future. Thankfully I didn't have to go through that. You yeah. two are going strong. Right. Thank God. And I know you may or may not buy a farm in Tennessee per your father's wishes, but um, it's on the beyond table. that, is is marriage on the table? Is that uh, up for discussion? Yeah, we, uh, we've discussed it and we love each other a lot. I think uh, something that we've talked about is for... For queer people, especially Andrew grew up uh, evangelical as well, but in England, which is such a such a whole different animal. Yeah, I don't know what that uh, looks like. It's I think it's uh, I think it can be equally kind of suffocating, but with like a charming accent on top, right. which is what I would hope for if you're going to be suffocated. Yeah. Uh, but we've we've talked about it, and Andrew Andrew writes as well. Uh, he does a lot in the tennis space, but he's also a big movie buff. So marriage for us and that kind of next step always seemed so foreign growing up that we've agreed to support each other and pursuing these these dreams that we have. Like I get the opportunity to write for Esquire. He's been writing about tennis and these other things on the side. So I think it's in the future, but I think it's in like the future. Mm. Uh, so we're not rushing through it. And are you a, a tennis person? Do you play? Is that part of your life? I am now more so than I used to be. Uh, plus, I mean, there's tennis. Tennis guys are a very particular type that I've come to appreciate. Mm-hmm. Uh, Talk about a leg man. 
it's it's what it is you know uh, i find a new favorite every day and and andrew That's supports me in it so long as it's a tennis player mm-hmm. uh but yeah, I I tend to stay in in my own lane because I think it's good when you have interests that you can like bring somebody into without having to like share that space. So Andrew yeah. goes off and watches the slams, and I'll pop in and pretend like I know something, and then go back in the other room and watch a watch a good movie or listen mm. to an album or something. Is there a piece of art a a a, a an artist uh, a movie a television show that Andrew loves that horrifies you? Oh God! Oh, he's and uh, vice versa. He is like knee deep in Ink Master right now. Wow! Uh, oh. With with Dave Grohl, Andrew has no tattoos. I have no tattoos. We both have talked about getting tattoos, but at this point, blank canvases. Uh, but the man can't stop watching Ink Master, and I just kind of let him let him live his truth. That in Fortnite, there's a lot Wait. of Dave Navarro. Dave Navarro. Did I say Dave Grohl? Okay. You did say Dave Grohl. Yeah, I messed that up, didn't I? Uh, Dave Navarro. Tell I, I would never <laughs> know the difference. Um, yeah, no, 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 no. He, Dave Grohl would never. Dave Navarro would. Yeah, 100%. Um, Very quick story. We used to go to the same gym. Uh, he walks on the treadmill, black leather pants, no shirt, boots. Oh. That's exactly oh, how I go to the gym. Disgusting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, because Dave Navarro did it first. Uh, conversely, is there something that you love that he's like, oh, God, I'm going to go in the other room? Oh, absolutely not. All of my uh, all of my pop culture is right okay. on target. Uh, nothing wrong with it. I was trying to think if there was anything, because I know that there are, there are things that I've brought him into. I think at this point, it's probably Gilmore Girls. Uh, oh, because I know that show. Uh, like I can see an episode title and potentially tell you what like the first scene is. That's how many times I've watched it, and it's wow. become a a sleep show for me. That just kind of I like lull myself out every night. And since we moved in together, I think we've made it through the series twice. And he's he's done. He doesn't want to watch uh, Gilmore Girls anymore. That's fair. Does, I also, do you, I lost him. I lost him this year as well uh, during the COVID season of Grey's Anatomy. Uh, oh, I think that I think it was kind of a mistake for a lot of television properties to try and incorporate COVID into their storylines. Agreed. And know. Grey's Anatomy was gruesome about it. So he uh, he used to watch that with me, but he left the room every time it was on this year just because it was it was too much too heavy is meredith awake it. yet i'd are any of us awake well you know uh, there's that I, i'm not watching <laughs> i just have i just have sort of like been vaguely aware of what is, what is happening and I, every time i'm like wow still out she's still in a coma you know oh. i i think it says something about this season that i legitimately don't i can't tell you I think that mm-hmm. I just started like blacking out at a certain point because it was dark. Like it was, it was rough. And I don't think that all pop culture or entertainment should be uh, bright and cheery. I mean, I watched the walking dead well after Glenn was killed off. Spoiler oh, wow. But uh, that's, yeah, that's what it lost, also, me. It's when it lost most people. I don't think that, 
I don't think anybody should torture themselves with TV just to do it. Yeah, I agree. I, it, I, it's telling that like the thing that people are obsessed with right now is like the White Lotus, Ted Lasso. These are like bright escapist, you know, um, adventures uh, as opposed to, you know, yeah. things that are grounded in the hell that we're all living through. Yeah, crazy slogs. Um, yeah, I've never I've never seen a single episode of that show either, and yet I am aware that she's on a beach. Yeah, like she's, she's on a dream beach, and all the dead people have come back, or something. It was it was so informative, and in it's early years uh, in like me establishing my own writing voice because I think what Shonda Rhimes can do with words is insane. Agree. Uh, same with Amy Sherman Palladino. So many of these. Uh, female showrunner led series have such a a cadence and a and a way of speaking and a tone that I think informed the way that I write. And I think it's become evident in probably the past like five or six years as people have tried to recreate that, that recreating somebody else's voice, I sound like I'm about to own myself. <laughs> recreating somebody else's voice does not work. It doesn't work as mm -hmm. well as uh, what the original person did. So I think that's kind of where Grace Anatomy's falling apart right now. Just a lot of shows trying to re recreate something that was perfect back when and yeah. somebody else has moved on from it. We, we started watching the original season, uh, re-watching it during the pandemic, and it does hold up. I mean, the her pilots especially, of all, of all the Shonda shows, are just like... That's how it's done. That is how you 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 make a one hour pilot and grab people correctly. In fact, I, I watched the Shonda masterclass, um, and she walks people through how she wrote the scandal pilot, and it's so interesting. And um, uh, she and she goes all the way into it, uh, and that is also like such an excellent pilot. But it's really funny because she's working with her actual staff and she's like interacting with them and asking them questions and it's all you know sort of treating it like a class and everyone is so terrified of her like visibly <laughs> afraid to to talk about a show that they all work on anyway but it's a great master class um justin uh best classic sitcom and you can't say golden girls oh it's roseanne Mm. Ah, Roseanne, hundred percent. I got the biggest pushback for the longest time because my favorite TV finale of all time is the original Roseanne finale. Which what happens? Remind me. Uh, it's uh, it's a double bill, and the first part of it. So Dan dies, and uh, I think it's like, or no, he has a uh, he has a heart attack in like the penultimate season, uh -huh. and then in the finale. Uh, in that last season, it just goes completely off the rails. Like Roseanne wins the lottery. And uh, in the finale, it lands on uh, just this long monologue from Roseanne where she says that actually when Dan had his heart attack in the penultimate season, he died. And that all these details throughout the entire show... Uh, Roseanne's mom being a lesbian and then uh her sister I'm going to hell because I can't remember her name Jackie. uh Jackie. Jackie yes uh was the lesbian and that Darlene was actually with Becky's husband and vice versa um and then I just thought it was this really beautiful monologue about how as a mother she made the narrative changes in their lives that she thought would make them happiest 
and that any mother's job is to do by their family what will what will help them the most and help them become the best people. Uh-huh. And I think that gets buried, A, because Roseanne's a real piece of work at this well, point, yeah. mm-hmm. but it gets buried because people don't like that St. Elsewhere kind of bait and switch. Right. Yeah. But I think that it was a bait and switch with this beautiful message behind it, and it just, it gets piled on. But I think it was a brilliant sitcom that spoke to people in a way that other sitcoms weren't, and it ended in a way that was so true to the message of the show. And did they, so then when they did and, the reboot, was it was the the dream yeah. was actually not a dream, but the, or the the how did they do that? Oh yeah, they undid they undid all of it at the uh, beginning of it. Uh, Roseanne wakes up, Dan's wearing like a sleep apnea mask, and she said, "I had this terrible dream that you died," and then they just don't address it again, which is lazy writing and honestly kind of the reason that I haven't watched the reboot. Hmm. I mean, there's a lot of reasons not to watch the reboot as well, but... Yeah, and then they had to kill her off via opioids um, because she uh, went nuts on Twitter. Yeah, not... uh, It's not the best. She's not the best. it, It makes me... It makes me so sad, and then you get into this, like, very complicated conversation of what do you do when... when somebody ends up being, like, a real... a real turd of a human... And yeah. and you have their art that you appreciate, and I think that for the for the time that it existed, Roseanne was excellent. Uh, but also, you know, here we are in this in this very complicated time with people that uh, you know just chime chime in and say whatever they want. And yeah, I'll always remember her desk monologue. She she did her best work back in like 1998. And then I just, I let her go into the good night. Smart. Smart. <laughs> and what are you listening to? What are you listening to right now? What is, uh, what is the music? What is the soundtrack of Justin Kirkland's life? So on a single, on a single level, I feel like everybody really loves solar power from Lord, but I'm obsessed with stoned at the nail salon. Uh, okay. I feel like I have opposite seasonal affective disorder and I loathe summer. It's just, it's too hot, too sticky. I don't want anything to do with it. Uh, so I like a good, a good downbeat song. Uh, so stoned at the nail salon with Lord. And then this whole new album from Yola is, is perfect. Uh, I saw that she just announced a headlining tour for 2022. Uh, and I pray that everybody, stays inside and does what they do to be uh, vaccinated and safe. Because if I miss that tour, because it gets pushed back, I'm going to lose my marbles. She's, she is a talent and I can't wait to see uh, how her career continues to grow. Yeah. Love her. Love her. She's going to be in the Baz Luhrmann uh, Elvis movie. Oh, is she? She's playing. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, that'll be so good. Yeah, it's going to be bananas. It's going to be bananas. Yeah, that record is good. I I second that. Justin Kirkland, you are a joy. I uh, I'll be seeing you on Zoom very soon. I'm so for, so uh, grateful for meeting uh, that you guys had me on because I'm such uh, such a fan of the podcast and uh, oh, think both you. of you guys are just charming as they come. So we're was, such a fan of it was you. So I, exciting! I, I can't imagine a better person to best. celebrate our four year anniversary. Slash your six-year anniversary at uh, Esquire with. 
<laughs> I mean, I've been, I know Dave, because Dave and I chat off and on through work every day, but I feel like I also know you in a way-ish, because we've followed each other on Twitter for a while, mm-hmm. so it's been, uh, it's been really exciting to be able to pop on and uh, talk about fraternities and, and Jake Lacey adjacent mm-hmm. fantasies and, and mm-hmm. drag race a little bit. That's an everyday mm-hmm. Thursday for me. Yeah. Um, and I, I look forward to talking tennis players with you for years to come. <laughs> please, please do. Absolutely. Justin Kirkland. Everyone read Justin Kirkland's stuff on Esquire.com. You are such a fucking brilliant and funny writer. Oh, thank you so, so much. I, You know that I'd say the same thing a thousand times right back at you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yay! You're the best. Yay!